When I took over the program, we purposely decided to say, we're not going to do energy, environment, conservation, climate change, water. We're going to work on climate change. Climate change is the sun at the center of our solar system. This is a solvable issue. We have what we need to do it. We just need to, to get people to, to think about it in a different way, to change their minds just a little bit to accept you know, certain solutions. This is Forces for Good, a podcast from B-Lab, the nonprofit network powering the global B Corp movement. I'm your host, Irving Chan Gomez. Driving positive impact for people and the planet takes collaboration, innovation, and inspiration. That's why we're partnering with the Known North America, one of the largest certified B corporations, to feature live conversations from the 2023 Aspen Ideas Festival. We're bringing you to the middle of this festival. So in the background, you may hear people and vehicles passing by, the occasional smoothie bike running, and the joyful voices of our fellow attendees. This special series will share groundbreaking ideas and stories about putting purpose into action. Anybody can confidently tell us how to mitigate climate change, it's our next guest. Greg Gershuni is the executive director of the Aspen Institute Energy and Environment Program and co-director of Aspen Ideas Climate. According to Greg, one of the most important things that the Aspen Institute does is bring people together and give them a chance to convene. I've seen that all week here in sessions that feature authors, CEOs, politicians, activists, young leaders, and audiences filled with observations and endless questions. The thing that is so special about convening is that when we come together, we can see eye to eye, build trust, and find ways to work together towards greater impact. How are you today? I'm good. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. Congrats. This is like amazing. It's my first time, but it's been incredible to be here amongst like so many inspiring people. So first, I'd like to get to know you a little better. So um, can you tell me about like who Greg is? How did you get to this point and, you know, like to work in climate and be the way that you're involved in this work? Sure. So um, I guess, you know, we could go back to I was a community college dropout and um, I kind of had this, you know, moment where I was like, I need to figure out what I want to do with my life. I want to have an impact. I want to do something. And so I, I went back and I finished college at 27. I joined the Obama campaign in 2007, 2008 and, you know, traveled to a bunch of states and met a lot of people who really gave me, you know, a lot of hope and optimism for the future. We won that election, and so I went to the White House, and I started off in science and technology policy, working on things like the James Webb Space Telescope, basic science research, STEM education. And then over a couple of years, I moved, I started shifting over into energy and into climate change. And um, it's because it's a space where 
everybody can have an impact, whether you're a PhD in physics, which I am not, or whether (laughs) you're, you know, a political scientist or a psychologist or an engineer, everybody can have an impact there. And so I worked a couple more years at the White House doing energy and environment. I went to the U.S. Department of Energy, um, where I helped lead energy policy for the country. And I came to Aspen about seven and a half years ago and helped refocus the Institute around solving climate change. And that's where that's where we are now. Hmm. I know it oftentimes is never like there's like a, a specific moment. But if you could look back and think of maybe a few of those or one that comes to mind that might have inspired or catalyzed that transition from general science into climate change. Do you have one of those? You know, I think when I got into it, it was an environmental issue and people who were environmentalists cared about climate change, Mm -hmm. but it impacts housing. It impacts finances. It impacts people in every continent in the world. And so realizing that, you know, I don't think there is one specific moment, but realizing that kind of really changed me. That's amazing. And I think you're getting to like an interesting point about just the ways that this impacts everyone really and everything like human and non-human species that we'll get into it in a minute. But before we go there, um, learning a little bit about the energy and environment program, which you lead, it talks about addressing some of these critical issues through convening Mm -hmm. of diverse stakeholders obviously for like improving the process and progress, which I think is also very interesting at the policy level. I want to dive a little bit deeper into this concept of convening. Why is it important? Yeah, so a lot of organizations that work in this space, some are activists, some lobby and try to change laws. What we do with convening is we bring together people from across the spectrum of in ecosystems, so say decarbonizing electricity. We bring together the electric utilities. We bring together big tech companies who are buying that electricity. We bring inventors and startups who are creating new products. We bring academics, we bring environmentalists. And putting them all in the room together, Mm -hmm. it helps start a conversation that both lead to new ideas that they then take back into their day-to-day life Mm-hmm. But it also creates bonds. You know, we bring people out here a couple a couple times a year for these convenings. And it's not just sitting in a room talking about, you know, the grid and how to build more solar panels. We take a hike up into the mountains and mm-hmm. people who never would have otherwise, you know, had a, had a deep conversation with each other end up hiking up a mountain together or sitting together at breakfast or dinner. And that really creates relationships where... It's really difficult to, in a place like D.C. or New York or L.A. or San Francisco, where things are just, you know, every 30 minutes are going to something else. Well, some of these issues are so incredibly interconnected, like with the different systems that we operate within, but also that every single species in this planet is already getting affected by. We're obviously at the Aspen Ideas Festival right now. And you mentioned the Aspen Ideas Climate, also like an annual convening. What do you hope each of these festivals each year will accomplish? Yeah, so at Aspen Ideas Festival, where we are now, this is much broader than climate change. We're talking about democracy, artificial intelligence. There was uh, an amazing conversation about the future of masculinity that Mm -hmm. um, I went to the other night. But I think out of this, there's a lot of climate, energy, environmental people here who Mm -hmm. are able to connect. 
what we did a couple of years ago was we took that and we went to Miami, who is on the front line of mm-hmm. the impacts of climate change. Right. And we said, we're going to do everything on climate. And so we bring 3,000 people. 3,000 people came to Miami this past uh, March and we made it solutions focused and we made it optimistic uh, mm-hmm. focused. And so what we didn't do was talk about, oh man, it's going to get really bad, the heat Mm -hmm. waves. That was part of it. But we talked about the solutions. We also take people out into nature around the Miami-Dade area. Mm -hmm. We clean up the beach. We did a snorkeling trip where we cleaned up some of the areas offshore. We go to the Hurricane Center, University of Miami, Mm -hmm. and get people out into the world where, and so they get to see those solutions. Yeah, I think that is critical when it comes to some of these discussions, because it highlights this idea. Obviously, we're thinking about interconnectedness, but also when we think about time, like it's not just about present, it's also about past and future. So how we think about, I don't know, one of the ways that I like to think about it is like, how am I being a good steward of the resources? How am I being a good ancestor for future generations? And I think like, why is like youth engagement is critical because it's also part of like, their future and their livelihood. So I know you mentioned like this is not solely focused on climate, but we have a theme here at the festival, which is powering the future. What does that theme mean for you? Yeah. So to me, powering the future is about the things that we need to build over the next five, 10, 15 years. You know, I I introduced a session this morning. It was a group of innovators talking about battery storage and geothermal and and things Mm -hmm. like that. And I started with an exercise where I had the audience close their eyes and say, now open your eyes. You wake up and it's 2050 Mm -hmm. and you look over and the news in your augmented reality glasses, you know, says net zero emissions reached, you know, humans save themselves from climate change. And the way we get there is through building these things, solar panels, wind turbines, electric vehicles, chargers, cement plants that put captured carbon into the cement so it's forever in the ground, capturing carbon out of the air and then turning it into products like water bottles. And so powering the future is really about the things that are going to take us forward to the next level, the things that we need to do now. And so I think a lot of the sessions have really been focused around that. That's amazing. I think learning a little bit about the program that you lead, it was interesting to see that, you know, for several decades, there was a focus on environment and energy. And it's like recently that it is also like purposefully engaging around this topic around climate change and the policies around it. And also like looking into like mitigation, adaptation, and importantly, cooperation. Why do you think it's important to think of these issues, both climate, energy, and environment together? So our program started 53 years ago, and it was during the environmental crisis of the 60s and 70s. And so rivers on fire in Cleveland, bald eagles almost extinct. And that was a time when environmental issues were really key, stopping oil spills into drinking water, which of course is still an issue. But I think over time, our program has really focused around the big issue of the day. And so I took over the program actually five years ago next week. Congrats. Thank you. It doesn't feel like five years. It feels like a couple of weeks. Time goes by when you're having fun, right? It does. It really <laughs> does. 
Um, when I took over the program, we purposely decided to say we're not going to do energy, environment, conservation, climate change, water. We're going to work on climate change. Climate change is the sun at the center of our solar system. Mm -hmm. Everything revolves around that. And so when we think about the projects we do, we say, is this going to have an impact on solving climate change? If so, are we the right organization to do it? And mm -hmm. only then do we kind of take something and move it forward. So it's been interesting to see how some of the climate and environmental conversations are moving from climate alone to climate justice, environment mm -hmm. alone to environmental justice, energy to just transition, right? So why it is important, in your opinion, to balance some of these systemic issue conversations with the real life impact and implications that we're seeing on people today? So I think about the pivotal moment for climate change was the Paris Climate Agreement in 2015. Right. And almost every country in the world got together and said, we're going to do something about it. But when you actually get down and start doing the things you need to do, it impacts, like you said, people, communities, because every solar panel is somewhere. Every farm or farmer lives somewhere. And so working with those communities, those people on environmental justice, which is the impacts of the things we do on communities, but also climate justice, which we think about in terms of like, who's going to get these new clean energy jobs and who's losing the jobs that are going away because they were part of, you know, a past economy. And I think that it's all mayors and local leaders are going to be really important in the transition because they're there closest with their communities that have elected them and they have a responsibility to make sure that the projects that are built in a community, whether it's a small town of 500 or whether it's, you know, New York or Los Angeles, are appropriate and welcome for those communities. What are some other ways you can learn about driving change when you're not listening to forces for good? Well, let me tell you about System Catalysts, another podcast from our Webby-winning producers at Human Group Media. System Catalysts shares personal stories and tactical advice from activists, philanthropists, and changemakers from today's leading nonprofits and social movements. Join weekly as they explore the power of collaborating with others to help address our world's most persistent challenges. Binge the first season of System Catalyst wherever you listen to podcasts or simply follow the link in the show notes. And remember, together we can make a difference. Because we're at the Aspen Ideas Festival, Let's take a short break from this conversation to hear from other attendees. We asked, how can business have a positive impact on society? Here's one that echoes Greg's point. So business can make a positive impact in society by investing in local communities and making sure that they're giving back to the communities that they reside in and enriching the population that live there. I think it's really interesting 
And I would imagine this is part of like the convening that you have in Miami. But just for clarity, can you maybe give us some examples of, you know, you mentioned like we have Aspen Ideas Climate. And I think like if we don't think about like these intersectionalities, we could think of, oh, it's only a bunch of like environmentalists. Who are some of the stakeholders that are coming to these gatherings that are bringing some of those perspective around environmental justice, just transition? Yeah, so we're very purposeful when we invite both speakers at Aspen Ideas Climate, but also the audience that we invite mm -hmm. in. It's it's a public event, and so anyone can register. But we, you know, spend a lot of time going out and talking to organizations and talking to individuals about coming to Miami for this. And so um, on the environmental justice and climate justice issues, it's pretty wide. So, you know, we bring in environmental justice leaders from local communities. We bring in kind of national leaders who are thinking about this on a bigger scale. We also bring in local advocates from around the world. And so we had we had a young woman from India who's a local advocate for environmental justice. I believe she's from outside of Delhi, who is thinking about this in a very local way to her community. But that's something that other people can hear and kind of take those ideas and apply them in a thousand other places around the world. And so we make sure that that community voice is really heard. We also make sure that there's a bunch of mayors who take part in, in these conversations so that they can learn from each other and learn from what the environmental justice advocates, the energy policy experts are doing in other places. And so, I mean, going back to the convening, the collaboration that we build is the muscles and tendons that connect all these different places, cities, states, countries, and help make everything run more smoothly, more efficiently, and to be able to solve climate change. Yeah. And that through the value of like meaningful relationships. I yeah. think it's like pretty interesting approach. And I mean, I love convenings too. And I think like they play a role, especially when we're like, it's about trust. It's about trusting each other and therefore like the institutions that we're part of. A very common phrase that people say now in the climate solution space is it moves at the speed of trust. Mm. And so that's trust doesn't happen overnight. It takes, you know, and it doesn't happen transactionally. It happens with real, you know, building real relation. I mean, our, our the third part of our program is building relationships for cooperation. Mm -hmm. We run a dialogue between kind of non-governmental leaders in the U.S. and non-governmental leaders in India. It's been going on for 12 years and it's really moved the ball on the, you know, the way we were able to feed that up into our government leaders to better able them to have the conversations on climate change that they need. Similarly, you know, we, a couple of years ago, we spent a few years convening farmers in a barn on a farm to talk about stewardship of the land, to talk about sustainability, and to talk about climate change. Because, you know, most family farmers, they think about this as leaving their farm for their children so that they can also farm that yeah. land. But the way the climate is changing, it's not a given anymore. And right. so that's their way of thinking about climate change is to think about the stewardship of their farms and their land. Mm -hmm. So those are just two examples of that building yeah. relationships. Yeah. And I mean, it becomes deeply personal, right? It's like my family's livelihood. Yeah. I think thinking about like this interview and like the questions we were going to ask you, I'm going to take a pass and say like, 
we both believe that this climate crisis is solvable. Like otherwise, probably we wouldn't be here. What drives you and renews this belief for you? In other words, what brings you hope? What keeps you going? So knowing that there are solutions to solving climate change, they're out there and a lot of them are out there. A lot of them are affordable and becoming more affordable and that we can build and deploy them now. And the ones that aren't there yet, people are working on. And so thinking about that, we, you know, it's this complicated web of solutions that we have to push forward all at once. You know, maybe it's like a thousand of them. And, you know, I like puzzles and, you know, working on this really helps. Like, it makes me think that we can fix this. This is a solvable issue. We have what we need to do it. We just need to get people to think about it in a different way, to change their minds just a little bit to accept you know, certain solutions. I think at the beginning, you mentioned that something about this issue is that everyone can have an impact around it. So what is your message to business leaders, to people in business about the role that they play in and to solve the climate crisis, both alone within their organizations, but also collectively? Yeah. So I mentioned before, you know, local officials like mayors are going to be really critical in the next decade or two because that's where we're building things. But business leaders are the ones building the things. They are mm -hmm. financing it. They're, you know, hiring workers. They're building things or they're buying those products that can lower emissions. And so a lot of companies, most companies have made some kind of commitment to climate change. That's are a good first step. And it's knowing that they have to keep ratcheting those commitments up. So you've got to keep raising the goal, you know, whether it's every year, every couple of years, and then putting the resources behind actually implementing it. And then what we've seen a lot of layoffs in the tech industry over the last year, yep. as far as I can tell, none of those have been in their sustainability teams. And so like seeing things like that, that it really is a priority for companies, mm -hmm. even during uncertain economic times right. is really, you know, that's a strong sign that it is a priority for the company. You know, it's become a little politicized. There's a lot of conversations happening around the campus on ESG, but whatever you label it, it's about prioritizing not just profits, but prioritizing the environment as well. Yeah, I think we've seen a very interestingly similar trend at B-Lab. So when when the pandemic hit, like we thought that we were going to see a decrease in the number of companies that were applying for certification or using the assessment to measure and manage their impact. And we actually saw the opposite, where many companies actually started to go through it. And it was interesting and reassuring to see that despite those uncertainties, companies were still committing to some of those frameworks. Yep. And then just about to close, similarly, what is your message for individuals about how they can also take action either by themselves and their daily activities, but also encouraging the public and private sectors to work together to solve the crisis? So I think a couple things. First, I mean, you know, to the extent that an individual can reduce their own emissions, they should do that. It's not always possible for everyone because you don't always have control over things. But, you know, so I am a first time new homeowner as of a year ago. And so Congrats. a couple months, thank you. A couple months ago, we um, we bought solar panels for our roof. And so our house emissions are now zero. 
rather than driving to work in a gasoline car, I got an e-bike and I'm riding my bicycle to work, you know, a couple of days a week when I have to go into the office. Right. Talking to friends and family about climate change is an important thing. Um, you know, we all we always hear stories about people who have become real climate advocates. And it's because, you know, their children or their, you know, nephew or whoever said, you know, what are you doing about climate change? You, you know, you have this kind of power, you work at this kind of organization, are you doing anything? And that helps really change people's minds. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing is I work in climate change. You know, my title has energy and environment in it. And that's what I do every day, all day. But every job is a climate job. And so the more that we think about that, you know, we're working with higher education officials across the country to build climate change into the curriculum of college students and how schools can both decarbonize the schools and the buses, Hmm. but also how kids can talk to their parents about climate change. Hmm. And so thinking about every role, everything that we do as a climate job is a big way to to think about it. And again, it goes back to the intersectionality, the cross-sector aspect of climate change. If you work in a different field, it doesn't mean that what you're doing doesn't have an impact on climate change. Hmm. I want to thank you for lending your time and your voice for this. It's been really inspiring to hear some of the work that you're doing. And also, I think just thinking about this idea of convening as a way to build trust as a core component to these solutions that are needed for the climate movement. So thank you again for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed being here. This is a special series from Forces for Good. Featuring conversations recorded at the 2023 Aspen Ideas Festival and in partnership with Danone. If you'd like to learn more about B Corps and purpose-driven companies, visit bcorporation.net. And listen to the rest of our season. We'll have more episodes about how business can drive positive impact and be a force for good. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Your ratings and reviews help Forces for Good reach new audiences. So we thank you for your support. For more opportunities to engage with us, follow us on social media. The views and opinions expressed are those of the interviewees and do not reflect the positions or opinions of the producers or any affiliated organizations. This podcast was brought to you by B-Lab and Danone. Our team includes Sherry Jordan and Erin Brooks. Forces for Good is produced by Human Group Media. I'm your host, Irving Chan Gomez. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to catching you in the next episode.